this morning, I saw something I'd never seen in church before. At least I thought I did. I saw a child trying to feed a, Christ- tr- trying to feed a biscuit to a Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> On Tuesday morning, and this was not deliberate, I shared my breakfast with my laptop. It was its last meal. <laughs> it's been that kind of week. Oh. We're Pentecostals, we do audience response, come on. I can dance if you like, but I'll just want, you know, that's not the point. So, I want to thank you for your prayer, John. And John said, um, this is, we thought this might be good to share some of my testimony, and I hate, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a fond of the kind of thing, the testimony that starts, I was born at an early age, goes on and on and on and on and on. Having said that, I was born on the 102nd anniversary of the charge of the Light Brigade, or the Battle of Balaclava, depending on your perspective, depending on whether you're a patriot or an anarchist, depending on what what your opinion was of that particular period in history. Perspective's important. Perspective, when you've had a week like I and probably others have had a a week, perspective when you've had a, a life like some of us have had is important. Perspective is vital because it can keep you sane. You see, here we sit in this room, here we stagger through these weeks. But if we're in Christ, the Bible says, we are seated with Christ. If we're Christians, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And it's an act of faith then, it's an act of faith for each of us. To let this book live in our hearts and understand that all things are working together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. It's an act of faith. It's not head knowledge. It's determination. It's conviction. It's pressing into what God said about himself and about me and about you. I mean... I to, that's how I have to look at my life. That's how I have to look at my life. I was born handsome. I had an accident when I was born. And it went from there. Not all miserable, a lot of it good. But um, events happened. There were... Well, how I usually sum up my, my, the history of my, of my... large part of the history of my parents is like this. Three dads, two dead, one missing, probably dead by now. Bit of a rough background, bit of a rough childhood. A bit too much familiarity with drink among the male side of the family. And brokenness and divorce among parents and things like that. And a sense of fatherlessness, which I'm still working on. You know, I've read the books. I've even preached the sermons. I've even given the testimonies, but I'm still growing in that. 
and growing up a bit lonely because, because of the family background. I just didn't feel like being vulnerable and relating to people. But God used some of that when we got a new stepdad. We got the first stepdad. And we moved from the northeast to Carlisle. And this was not the soft drunk. This was the more violent drunk. Not that bad, but bad enough. But the one thing he did was, he, in order to kind of make sure things were, were tied, up, tied down, he took me to the local YMCA. Got me involved in that. It was good. Wasn't particularly Christian for a YMCA yet. Well, it was actually particularly Christian, relatively Christian. But I grew in. But there was, I would just go there, turn up for half an hour, maybe go back home again because it just wasn't relating to people. Funny thing was, I've told you, told you some of this. An atheist is largely responsible for me becoming a Christian. <laughs> Alan Mosscroft. I don't know if he ever got saved. Floss, we called him. But he used to hang with, you know, he used to hang out, hang about with in, in the YM quite a lot. And he used to be like a big brother to me, and he kept me there until the Christians caught on. Until something happened, and until people started becoming actually getting saved, we need, and we're good at this, guys. But let me encourage you: we need to be able to relate to those that aren't in this circle. Yeah. Got born again in the YMCA. Went upstairs to follow follow this redhead to this prayer meeting that was happening upstairs. After after I'd been out with the church putting leaflets through doors that I knew nothing about because I didn't know the gospel. Following these people around, followed, followed the redhead. She never got saved. She, you know, she backslid since. It's like she was a decoy. Went into this prayer meeting, sat and did what everybody else did, prayed, started talking to God for the first time in my life, got the shock of my life, and here I am. Basically, God entered my life. He knew about the self-loathing. He knew about all that stuff. He knew about all the fears, and he took me on anyway. Yeah? It's about his strength, not mine. Yeah. And a call came on my life. In an unusual way, God brought a, verse, a script, scripture verse into my life, in, into, into my life telling, calling me to raise a banner for the Lord. And after a few years, of this backwards and forwards, God and my and the, my pastor at the time basically pitchforked me at the Bible College, and I was in ministry in Stratford for a while, leading the church. It was interesting. It's fascinating. It's perplexing. And while I was there. He gave me, I'm sure, he gave me a word from Ezekiel 36, 26, which we'll look at later. But it got to the point where it was, like, it was the last thing I could preach because it was the only thing that made any sense before I left. One of the reasons I left was, and some of you have seen some of the scars, uh, there was a season, a while at a, a, a time, when three Christian leaders had, had fairly serious road traffic acts. One just turned, totaled his car and walked away. This one, 
brought quite a lot of bonds down from here to there. This me. And another one, Peter Whitaker, excellent man of God, gifted man of God, was killed in it. Killed in a, in, a, in a car crash on the way back from Spring Harvest. It was all weirdly coincidental as though an enemy had done it. So I went from church, one church to another for various reasons with, with the family, with the kids and the wife, the then wife. And by the time I got into Hartland's church, one of the guys that had been the founder had been in the founding team, as it were, of the original church, became my mentor, effectively. And he compared my life to that of Joseph. So that's, this is where we come to Scripture proper, and we start to look at the life of Joseph, if you would, from Genesis 37. Might even come up on the screen, so I'm told. It will. There we go. Oh. Yeah, we go. 1 to 11. Jacob lived in a land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, which is the age I was when I, when I got saved, by the way, was tending the flocks with his brothers, they put the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. I've got another version. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colours, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheep arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed... To rule over us? So they turned him even... They, they hated him even more for his dreams than for his words. Then he dreamed another dream. And told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother ask... And, and, and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you. And his brothers were jealous of him. Happy families. And his father, but his father kept the saying in mind. Joseph. Was he a spoiled brat? Sounds like a bit. I can't think of him as Rachel's reward. Rachel was one of Jacob's wives. And she could not conceive. She could not have a baby. She waited years and years and years and years. The other mother had babies. She even got 
um, house servant to have babies on her, on her behalf, but she was heartbroken, heartbroken, heartbroken. And eventually the miracle happened, and his name was Joseph. A reward after years of disappointment. Favor is good. Favor from God is good. But favor and being treated specially, being treated specially, can paint us as a target, can mark us out for trouble like that, as we've seen from this reading. Getting noticed can be getting shot at. What do you do when somebody else is blessed? What do you do with somebody else's blessing? What do you do with somebody else's prosperity in whatever area? Do you envy? Think about that. Do you encourage? Do you thank God with them? Or do you just evaluate? Do you just say, that's good, God. How do I get that? You talk to God about it. Dad, Jacob, I'll put down here because I like alliterating things, careless cat from, from verse 5. Careless candor, complicated things. He talked a little bit too much than was safe for him. He boasted in his dream a little bit too much than was safe for him. And the second dream, even his dad, even Jacob, was shocked, perhaps disappointed, disgusted, but he thought about it. A bit like Mary, when Jesus was, was about to be born, she hid these things in her heart when the angel spoke to her. I was thinking about DNA groups. If you have a dream, no, I'm not going to sing. If we have a dream, and you should have a dream, there should be some imagination in you because it's imagination in God. DNA groups can function as a means of drawing out our dreams, I think, in a healthy way, in a healthy and loving environment. Proverbs 27.17 says this. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens a man. A little gentle conflict goes a long way. But like I said last time I quoted that verse in Shottery, you do not sharpen a tool by banging it face first into the ground. There's, con there's interaction and there's just nastiness. There's a difference. And Ephesians 4, verse 15, 13, talks about speaking the truth in love. There's a balance. You've got to speak truth because you're in the image of God. But you've got to speak love, lovingly because you're image of God, in the image of God. That's how to do it. Truth. An opinion is only an opinion. A fact is only a fact. It's a 
fact. I said to somebody the other day, something like this, suspicion is neither a fruit nor a gift of the Spirit. Walking the truth. Elvis Presley. There's a change. change. Elvis Presley. He he kind of was a pioneer in remote control television. In a manner of speaking. He had a device for switching his televisions off. I say televisions. He had to have televisions. Because he would shoot them. And a revolver. He, you know, he got bored. Bang! Telly's off. Joseph's brothers had a device for switching off their visionary. A pit. A hole. So, this next part of of Genesis 37... Joseph, being daddy's boy and mummy's boy, dressed up like a beacon. Went looking, was sent to look by his by his dad for his his brothers. Verse eighteen. They saw him from afar, and before he before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. He said to one another. Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, not that one, (laughs) he rescued him out of their hands. Maybe that's a minute, I don't know, maybe. Saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out, out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and he took him up and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then he sat down to eat and got on with life and waited. And things happened. And they had a bit of a planning. Decided to make some money out of it and so sell him on to some people, some slave traders, some foreigners got him out of the country into Egypt. Pardon me. So there was Joseph, Superboy, upended in a hole in the ground. In a pit, in a dry, it says a dry, waterless pit. All in his tod, no provision, no resources. Just having to stay there, just having to sit there and wait. I got like that, in a manner of speaking. I have my wilderness years. I got to the point where I would be in the street 
And the main, the only reason I had for not, I felt I had for not throwing myself under the nearest car was because I didn't want the, the driver to suffer. I've been there. I've been there. I've been there as a Christian. I've been there. When my purpose went, when the point of my life went, when I was having my desert experience, there's a technical term for it, and it's not as, by the grace of God, it's not as scary as it sounds. I was demonized. I was, there was something going on in my life. There was something from the enemy living in me that shouldn't have been there, that it happened, so I'm told. When I was hit by this car, there was a trauma happened, and there was an entrance for something evil which just kept me low and low and low and not daring to expect anything because not wanting to be disappointed yet again. That's where I was. But I got delivered. I got set free and I started to live again. But for me, that means I was demonized, I was delivered, but I have to be disciplined. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit and of walking in the Spirit. And Second Corinthians tells us to take every thought captive to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. To cooperate in Christ being formed in me. And by the way, Christ is being formed in me. Christ is being formed in me. That was a massive formative word in the, in the, for me in the, in the church I was in previously. That was <laughs> the one thing out of about four or five years of Jamie's teaching that I still remember, that one phrase. Christ is being formed in me. I mean, may look, feel, and smell like a hopeless wreck, but Christ is being formed in me, and He's being formed in you. Yeah. Sometimes, whether you're respond, responding to Him or not. Sometimes, when the effluent is interfacing with the air conditioning in a marked manner, Christ is being formed in you. That's what He's about. There's a lot about Joseph in this little book, and we're not going to cover it all in, 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 in any detail because we're not going past two o'clock, are we? No. <laughs> Joseph was sold, sold into slavery, as you know. And then later on, by about ch chapter 39, he's in Egypt, he's marketed marched and marketed in, into Egypt and this bloke called Potiphar his senior official his proper civil servant buys him takes him on but Joseph somehow or other hasn't let his character erode to the point where he will not serve well to me. I like that. I should have written that down. <coughs> Joseph sold into slavery. Potiphar purchases Joseph. Genesis 39. Mrs. Potiphar. Mrs. Potiphar. That's the, that's the polite name for her. Mrs. Potiphar gets the hots for him. <laughs> It's not a theological term yet, but I'm working on it.
Joseph maintains his integrity. He stands up for himself. And because he does the right thing, how does God reward him? In the slammer you go. It doesn't always make sense, folks. But we have to trust. And this, gets, and this can be sound so trite unless you've been through a bit of stuff. You have to trust that God is working all things together for your good. Otherwise, you backslide and live a miserable life. Or you crack up and become a fanatic. It can't be done. Then we get to Genesis 40. Joseph is being Joseph in the jail. And you, you'll, you'll, some of you have done this in Sunday school. Some of you probably read this last week or something. He's in the slammer. He's in the jail. But he's still being himself. And he's still got this thing about dreams. This thing from God, I believe, about dreams. He interprets two people's dreams accurately. The baker winds up dead, winds up executed, because that's what the, that's what the dream meant to him. He was lifted up. And he was lifted up on a scaffold and died. The chief steward was released. He was lifted up out of the, out of the jail. But Joseph was still there. Can we bless others and stay where we are? Can we bless others beyond what we're, beyond what we're getting? Can you still dream? Can you still dream? I know I'll come off, come off a bit like a big kid sometimes. It's probably senility kicking in. Can you still dream? One question you need to ask yourself. Have you still got some faith to see God do something in you and with you and in your life? Here's another thing. Repeating a bit of what I said earlier. Have you got a heart for other people's dreams? Can you help other people's dreams? John's got a lot of vision for this church. And part of being a, a bit part part of being part of this church is for us to have a heart for the dream that, that, that's been put in his in his life. But we need to be expecting God and allowing God and releasing God to give us dreams. I ain't good at it. I'm not good at it. I just think I challenge I challenge myself. Because there's a thing that can happen in a church, and I've seen this, right? You spend a lot of time talking about the vision. And it's this big thing, and it's from the front, and it's a master plan, and it doesn't actually happen. And it looks exotic and fantastic. And, well, I, I, it's my conviction that a lot of the time, the best way to have a vision for a church is for everyone to get their own vision and watch it melt together. We need to stand with John. We need to stand with the, the rest of the leaders here and the vision that God's given them and the dreams that God's given them. And we need to learn to dream like they do. It goes on. Genesis 41, there's this thing. Look, Pharaoh has a dream. And Joseph's still being Joseph. 
still showing integrity, still having a good name, keep maintaining a good name. Pharaoh has this dream about seven fat cows and followed by seven lean cows. And Joseph interprets this as seven fat years for the nation of Egypt and seven lean years. And as a result of that, the nation saved, the Pharaoh prospers, and Joseph is honoured. Would that the church could prophetically speak truth to power today? We need to pray for organisations like the Care Trust and the Christian Institute that we graciously they might, you know, the graciously Christians might get involved in, in formulating policy, like Billy, like Joseph, put, you know, one of God's people got involved in, in policy in that day. I'm not saying what the kind of, what, I'm not going to particularise that in any in any way because I don't know. I'm not that clever. Joseph management of the famine, incidentally, brackets providentially. Brings his brothers back into his life, looking for food. Okay, a quick look at Genesis 42:9 if I can find it. Probably says what I've already said. Joseph remembered. This is all these years later. Joseph remembered while he's in Egypt the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you're spies. You've come to set, see the nakedness of the land. They were back. God had vindicated him. Things had happened. They'd, in the figure, sort of bowed to him. But he still didn't trust him. And he was prepared to forgive them, but he still didn't trust him. There's a difference sometimes, folks. So Joseph was still following the dream, still distrusting his brothers, still working to get the whole family back by planting a silver cup in a sack uh, of, of their grain, as he says elsewhere in this passage. Now, I lived with unfulfilled dreams for years. I almost gave up. I never expected to be back here. I mean, or even Shottery Chapel or what, what do we call oh, this Christian Centre? I know. It shouldn't be happening. I've said to you before, somebody, it's hilarious. It's weird. It's even more weird than I am. But God's up to something. God's up to something in each of our lives. And we need to trust him. God's up to, up to something in each of our lives better than I have. And we need to trust him better than I have and better than I do, to be frank. I know. Joseph forgave his family extravagantly. And I had to systematically forgive a number of people, a number of church family even. I had this dream that I was carrying for years. 
it was that one from Ezekiel 36:26, which is about how we're living in the heart of the nation, and I found it a hard town. We're living in the heart of the nation. Ezekiel was told this. That God wanted to, and God would, turn this rock-hard heart of, this, of the nation that they, they were in into a heart of flesh. Which meant to me that it was going to stop just being dead and boring and flat and not circulating life like a real heart would. But it would change. But God would change it. That's my vision for this town. As I say, I wasn't expecting to be here for it. I thought at one point I'd be dead. And I was never expected to be here quite in this context. So as we start worship again, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for each of us. So reach out in faith a minute, will you? God, I just ask you, Lord, to cleanse, to, to open the channels in our minds, to open the channels in our hearts and spirits. And when we felt what we haven't dreamt, what we haven't caught a vision from you, and we've perished in some magic measure, will you please draw us back into that enlightened place, into that illuminated place, into that excited place where we can know, as you told me, I have a, we can have a future and a hope and a purpose. Will you release us, Lord, to get excited about the future? Each of our futures. Release our dreams, O oh Lord, I pray. In your name. Amen. All right.